Hi, welcome to the Spooky Kid Podcast. I'm Grace. I'm Walker. I'm Chris. We are three best friends, and each month one of us chooses a new movie, show, book, album, or game to discuss. This episode is Chris's mandate. So, Chris, first episode, first mandate, what are we talking about this month? I picked Over the Garden Wall, a Cartoon Network show created by Patrick McHale that aired in November 2014. We got Elijah Wood voicing our main character, Wirt, Colin Dean as Gregory, and we have Melanie Linsky as Beatrice the Bird. It's a story of two brothers trapped in this place called The Unknown, trying to get home. Pretty simple. Yeah, yeah. Um, I had never really heard of it at all. I've been on Tumblr and there'll be like little edits of the characters. I thought it was a show about gnomes, so I was way off. Oh, so you guys didn't even like know about it really at all then. What did you think of it, Walker? I really enjoyed it. I I um I also hadn't heard of it up until you recommended it and I'm wondering uh if you watched it when it aired or if you happened to see it uh after the fact. I watched it after the fact, not while it was airing, pretty recently after. This was during like the Tumblr days when people were posting GIFs and images and weird like conspiracy theories about the show. So I was seeing a bunch of cool clips of different characters and images of the show. Some of the creepier stuff, which is what I'm into. So I saw all that stuff, eventually had them start it pretty soon after it first aired, but not when like the hype was like huge got it yeah and just so uh everyone who hasn't seen it where can we watch it was it netflix or was it hulu it's on hulu currently there are disc sets and stuff like that i'm sure you could find it on not so great places on the internet but uh it's currently on hulu and it's definitely worth a watch First episode, only a couple minutes in and we're already uh promoting illegal activity i love it <laughs> you just have to watch it if you're listening Stop listening and watch the show first, because we're definitely going to get into, like, spoiler stuff. Yeah, but, like, don't stop listening. <laughs> Just, like, press mute and listen to the whole thing. <laughs> because... <laughs> Pause it. Pause it. Watch the show. Come back. It's but only do it 10 really episodes. Quickly. Do it really quickly. It's super quick. It's don't, only 10 episodes. Don't ruin our each. analytics. <laughs> yeah. We, we, we need this to be a good start. So, yeah, what is that, under uh, under four hours for a total runtime? I'm not great at math, but I'm going to say yes. I'm, I'm thinking it's about that, 20? Yeah, it's yeah. like... Yeah. Yeah. What I liked about it is it is only one season, which I thought would break my heart, but they actually wrap it up perfectly, so it just feels like a really long movie. Yeah, it's very, it's very quick, but not rushed. Do we want to get into some story beats or maybe go over who are... Our favorite characters were individually what do we think i think that's a good call i think everybody knows that my favorite character is the frog uh who i will always call kitty because that's the first name that he's given <laughs> and in my mind that's that's his name okay fair so. enough anyone who hasn't watched the show but is still listening there is a frog character that doesn't have a whole lot of speaking lines he does have a musical role and he's our narrator kind of is that's he true He's the big. He's a prog that plays the piano at the beginning and at the end, and he sings the intro song and outro song. Well, all right, <laughs> that's, that's news to me. So Grace, how about you? Who is your favorite character? My favorite character is Greg. He's so cute. He's got a great outfit. His pants look like a butt. His pants look like a butt, and he's wearing a teapot on his head, which we find out later is part of his elephant Halloween costume. 
It makes a lot of sense that Over the Garden Wall has ties to the show Flapjack because I was immediately reminded of the show when we get introduced to Greg. Both shows have this vibe about them that sort of transcends time and they follow a sort of dream logic that other Cartoon Network shows have. It used to really disorient me as a kid, but now it makes all of those shows more interesting and timeless. Yeah, I feel like uh, sort of the, each each episode has a, a very interesting up and down in that you sor- sort of start out feeling that the characters are making progress, and then you sort of stumble upon a waking nightmare and uh, in the end, maybe what you assumed about uh, the, the new environment or the new um, characters that they're interacting with, they're not as, as, uh, as harmful as, as first, first thought. So it's a very, uh, but it's, it's, it's interesting to pack that much into such a short time span. Yeah, that's a huge theme in almost every episode is that what you see is not what you get. It's very well done. And I also... What you were saying, Grace, that it's timeless. Everything about the show makes it timeless. All characters seem to be coming from different times of life. Like the boys are from modern time. There's characters from the 1700s, 1800s. You know, it's there's really nothing keeping it in one spot. Yeah, and it's not even like you really know that they're from modern times, which is another whole little flip. Yeah, as I was watching it, I was fully in the headspace that they belonged in this time like they weren't from our time Wirt's dressed as like a pilgrim essentially and gregory's dressed well as an elephant but you know he's so weird looking you don't really know what to think of him yeah and isn't Wirt reciting poetry right away yes he's very dramatic i i don't recall what he says but it's another older time thing real quick since I didn't get to say who my favorite character was, it seems only fair to say that mine is Wirt when yours are the other basically two main characters. And this is why we work so well together. <laughs> yeah. I had some questions for you guys. What do you think the unknown is? Which is the world they're in. Like this forest and these different villages. Yeah, I guess I'll give my uh, interpretation first. I haven't done any research further into maybe what people are speculating but for my own takeaway i would say it it seems to be from my perspective some kind of subconscious shared reality that that uh these two brothers have uh, whether or not that's the truth of it or how uh the creators wanted you to to understand things that's to me how it all came together especially given the the sort of bookend Almost like you would call the prologue as far as them, uh, the, the final episode with them in the river and everything. So what, what, what did you think, Grace? Yeah, so I'm immediately brought to, this is actually a fun fact I wasn't expecting to uh, give today, but Chris and I actually met in a creative writing class in high school. And one of the first rules our creative writing teacher told us was don't end it all, that it all was a dream. And I'm really hoping... Although there is an interpretation, which is kind of similar to what you're saying, Walker, um, if there is an interpretation that it was all because they like got injured and had this shared delusion and woke up in the hospital and it was all part of their imagination, I kind of want to entertain that it is all real. Just because I think that, I don't know, I feel like the, the dream thing, even though it was such a magical ride and if it ends up being a dream, it ends up being a dream. 
I'd rather it wouldn't be. I do understand that that would maybe have a less of a uh, less meaning to the overall story. I think from from my perspective, uh, the fact that really what I think is that uh, Wirt really becomes the, the main character in the end. It, to me, it's like Wirt is just trying to work out mentally uh, all of this frustration that he has that's sort of been uh, building up. Uh, and this is this whole sequence is, is his way of uh, uh, working through it. And I think to that extent, it, it gives it more meaning than it just being a dream, quote-unquote, uh, if it is uh, more of a development uh, of his own his own character. But. Yeah, yeah. I think that Wart goes through a tremendous amount of growth, but I think all the other side characters kind of do too. That's true. I'm just sort of thinking about it as we're, we're talking, but I also uh, was going to say that it, it's interesting because uh, Greg does make that shift from being an uh, sort of irritating, do-what-I-want uh, kind of uh, little brother to somebody who uh, work can kind of see more of a positive aspect as far as his overall character and demeanor and how that actually is uh, a good thing and, and something that he should really be thankful for. When I was first watching it, I did find him kind of irritating. But as you continue, you see that he isn't like a one-dimensional like kid. He cares about work. He cares about other people. And like he wants to do good, which juxtaposes what you first think of him it definitely is Wirt's story so i think he gets the most growth because i don't think anyone really likes Wirt the first couple of episodes like at all greg at least is funny and he's cute and he's like a nice kid Wirt's kind of a kind of a jerk to greg especially and he's always he's like pushing him he's bullying him a little bit but you really see him fill his shoes, I guess, so to speak, and becomes almost like a hero at the end of the story. Yeah, it uh, it's interesting because in a way, it almost starts out that uh, Greg is is this anchor that Wirt has to deal with, uh, and and it really kind of that that whole um, concept kind of gets flipped on its head uh, at the very end, which I think was a good good way to 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 shift things. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It it it's a good it's kind of a coming of age for both of them but in different ways. I think what's interesting is that Greg seems to have a lot of like emotional intelligence. He knows who he is and he's kind of okay with that. Wirt is very not okay with who he is, but he kind of understands the world and he knows that they're not in a good situation. He has like street smarts, I guess. Not really, he's a kid, but like more than Greg. Then there's Beatrice who it's kind of both, but she has her own demons that she has to deal with. Yeah, do we want to talk about her a little bit? She's We've kind of ignored her. Yeah, Beatrice definitely has a good mix of that emotional intelligence and also understands how the world works. She's more grounded, like Wart is, in reality. But she's kind of dealing, yeah, with like a moral dilemma. She's the most gray character, I think. Which also, can I say, she is in a very weird situation where she and her family got turned into bluebirds because she threw a rock at one. And the only way to cure that is to get a pair of scissors from a creepy witch in the woods to chop her wings off and her family's wings off. Yeah, I don't know how we breezed past that. It's very Grimm's fairy tale. There's countless 
references and inspirations from ye old fairy tales, like Germanic especially. Yeah, and I just want to, as long as we're doing a tangent, um, the voice actress for Beatrice was also in Castle Rock, and she was a great character, so just props to that actress. She's awesome. I actually didn't know anything about her aside from this show, so that's interesting. I'll have to check that out. She was in Perks of Being a Wallflower. She was Aunt Helen. I've only seen that movie once, so I can't really say for sure who that is, but I definitely know that exists. Spoiler alert for uh, Perks of Being a Wallflower. I think Aunt Helen is um, a pedophile. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's been a while since I've seen the movie. You might be right, though. I'm pretty sure she molested the main character. Awesome. Well, it's a good thing I only saw that movie once. Yeah, the entire <laughs> book and movie is um, him coming to terms with that. Yeah. Oh. All right. Right. Anyways, back to over, oh my God. <laughs> over the garden wall. <laughs> that, that, I, I, there's a reason I've only seen that movie once, I guess. I, I've removed that from my subconscious. Real quick, I also didn't get to say what I thought the unknown was. <laughs> um, I do think, Walker, you, you, you come up with some like really good points about it being like this collective conscious, which from what I was researching, there was a theory... That is what it is, that it transcends time. And this quote that I saw are that our brains are like television sets. And once we die, the signal just doesn't disappear. It travels. And the place that the signals travel to is the unknown. And, you know, like they gather and then these characters interact. I don't know if I necessarily believe that's what it is. I think it's interesting. I don't think it's a dream. Um, cause if you saw at the very end in the hospital, when Greg's shaking the frog, you see the bell light up in the frog's belly. The bell from the episode with Auntie Whispers and Lorna. Actually, if you guys didn't know, Auntie Whispers, a very creepy, like, owl lady, is voiced by Tim Curry. Yeah, so pretty awesome. They got some big names for the show, which is super cool. On a slight tangent, in the pilot, they got a blues singer. I didn't know who this was before. His name was C.W. Stone King. I guess he was a pretty big deal in the blues world. But yeah, so they, they definitely had some pull, especially getting Elijah Wood to uh, do work. But I personally think The Unknown is an afterlife or like a limbo purgatory kind of situation in previous episodes there's a lot of hints that the kids don't belong there that they're like a fish out of water and when you find out later in the show is that they're dying essentially and since all the other characters are in like way past timelines or sets of time that they would be dead already that makes so much sense there were so many people who were like like you said they were saying oh you don't belong here you're not supposed to be here the second episode is a big thing with that the town they go to populated by all these vegetable people where you think are vegetable people and from the get-go they start talking to them saying you were too early or you shouldn't be here yet and then you find out at the end of the episode that they're all skeletons and they're all dead. And an interesting note is that Pottsfield comes from an old term, Potter's Field, which were giant mass graves used during times of like famine and war. And they would just mass bury people on unnamed graves, which is kind of what Pottsfield is. It's a little bit more positive, obviously. But yeah, so I, I 
think Dream is definitely out, thankfully, because from our creative writing teacher, it's an awful way to end the show, and uh, I don't think it is that. So you you want to you want to put it more into a, a purgatory category? I think it's definitely some kind of afterlife in the the kind of scenes where we find out that the kids are from our time or near there they're in a graveyard and i don't know if you guys noticed but in that graveyard they hide behind a gravestone the name quincy endicott is written on there and if you guys don't know who that is or you listen and you don't remember it's the the rich uncle from the mansion episode where he thinks he's haunted by a ghost so he's very clearly dead and obviously that whole episode is him kind of dealing with ghosts literally and other parallels like that in some of my research i saw that peacocks which he breeds i guess are a symbol of life after death i couldn't find a whole lot backing that but if that's true that's interesting parallel too yeah that that makes a lot of sense because i just thought it was kind of an eccentricity thing but that's a fun hint i don't know how fun it is i guess it's kind of a bleak hint yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) it is kind of weird to think that beatrice is like a long long time dead but you know it seems like all those characters are kind of in one way or another gone but it's interesting to see them interacting all together nonetheless even if it is a sort of purgatory, like you said, there are physical manifestations that still happen in the real world because of it. Like if the frog still had the bell in its stomach, then that means they can take stuff back. Yeah, it does kind of muddy the waters, I think, a little bit. Because I think the the theory that it's like a collective conscious still kind of rings true if all those hints that it's the afterlife, quote unquote, are true. Like, if the kids saw this name Quincy Endicott, then potentially they would think that this guy's dead and then they could potentially meet him in this weird collective conscience. But it is interesting, like an interesting theory for that. But yeah, for them to bring something back, I'm not sure how that works exactly, but I don't think it really needs to be thought about with the whole idea of the show is not understanding or something being different, you know? Yeah, it could just be a hint that things aren't exactly what they seem. Like, don't worry, everyone, it's not just a dream. Look, the frog still has this, and then kind of sparks your your thoughts on it. And uh, conversely with that, they also, it's it's clear that Wirt and um, Greg also have a, an impact on uh, the, uh, sorry, what's the, the name of the, the area? The Not the forest. The unknown. The unknown, yeah. They, they also have an, uh, an effect on the unknown. They're able to change it because of what happens with Beatrice and Wirt having the scissors all along and, and her family being able to uh, re, uh, transform back. Uh, because of right. that. Right. There's defi- definite growth, I think. Like, nothing really changes until the boys show up, generally. Like, with the School for Animals episode with the gorilla, like, who knows how long that gorilla would have been there until the boys show up. And obviously, the, the bit with Lorna and the bell and Auntie Whispers, you know, who knows how long she would have been possessed until the boys show up. So they definitely have impacts. And it seems like even in the short time we see of Wirt, Gregory, and Kitty back in the real world, it seems like Wirt is still confident enough to talk to Sarah, who ends up being his love interest in the show for, like, the first time. So I I don't think it's a dream, but 
the effects are still there one way or another of whatever happened in this unknown place yeah they they all went through character growth but then they also do kind of a where are they now sequence of everybody and just the fact that they do have a like present and future means that there is like something that exists outside of their mind and there yeah in that reality there is change that happens because of this situation that they're put in this is kind of a side note but off of the the purgatory theory there is a lot of parallels to dante's inferno i haven't read it so i can't really say too much for sure i didn't have the time to to read dante's inferno but um (laughs) (laughs) what yeah right well, you got to really get through the whole trilogy if we're, if we're going to be honest. Oh, but. God, not the whole thing. <laughs> Maybe another episode. We'll see. Well, Inferno. Yeah, Inferno is just is book three of the... No, it's the first book. The Dante Extended Universe. Right. Is it the first? Yes. Oh. First book, and then uh, I'm forgetting the middle one, and then the uh, the Paradiso is the, the ending, where he's actually in heaven. Okay, so then I guess it's the trilogy in, in total that it's kind of parallels... Yeah, it's it's a full compression of that that journey. Right. I think it might do a little disjustice to say that it's just like a retelling of Dante's Inferno cuz one again, I don't know enough to compare it, but there are similarities with Wirt having a red hat and I guess Dante having a red hat in a lot of the artwork depictions and Beatrice guiding the boys through the unknown and I guess in the third book, Beatrice guides Dante through heaven. Yeah. Um, the whole reason Dante wrote the Inferno, if I'm remembering correctly, is there was this young girl in his town when he was growing up that he loved, but she died of some, like, old-time disease when she was still a child. But he kind of had this weird... It was almost like fan fiction, where it's like, he was like, well, this woman was supposed to be my wife, which is probably true. And he's going through this mourning process and he wants to meet her back up in heaven and have his life with her there. And I think her name was Beatrice. I would consider it more of that uh, that whole trilogy is is sort of a just a rough reference for the show because Dante's Inferno uh, and the subsequent two other other books, uh, there's obviously a much more heavy emphasis on religion and this show does not carry that same, uh, that same sort of mindset, uh, which I think is good because it, it's able to explore things on a more personal level uh, that would be, in a way, muddied if, if you brought more of a religious uh, lens uh, over the whole thing. But I, I think uh, it's definitely an influence uh, and probably the strongest one that you can, you can make connections to because there's nothing uh, that I can think of off the top of my head that, that has that same um, those same parallels or, or anything that would be as uh, as as much of a, um, a a clear influence. Yeah, I feel like any afterlife story it's either like a Greek myth or Dante, so it's not hard to draw that comparison. But I think the name Beatrice and even the red hat are not coincidences. But yeah, that's uh, I didn't think of that. I'm having a lot of revelations right now. <laughs> I gotta go rewatch it. Yeah, no, it's definitely a show where you get a lot out of it after rewatching it. Because when I was rewatching it before I initially told you guys about it, I noticed how Beatrice interacts with the boys at the beginning is very questionable. 
She kind of just lets a lot of things slide, is okay with a lot of weird things happening. Then you kind of find out why she has been hanging out with the boys the whole time, and it becomes clear why she was acting the way she was. So definitely a good show to rewatch, and it's short enough to do it. It's not like you're losing a week of your time. To get sort of back on like the Over the Garden Wall itself, we haven't talked about the Beast once. And he is the only character, aside from our main characters in the Woodsmen, that reappear multiple episodes throughout the series. Granted, not a lot, and he doesn't do a whole lot. And it's interesting that he's always represented in like the silhouette, aside from his glowing eyes. That he's like this shadow that's always kind of lurking and never really physically does anything. There's some kind of implications that he does something at the end, but that happens off screen, so we don't see anything. But I do think it's like a little too easy to compare him to the devil or Satan or something, because he doesn't really do a whole lot. He definitely has like these goals, but they're pretty self-contained to him and the woodsman. It kind of expands to Wirt and Greg later, but at the end of the day, it's all about his like lantern. And when you find out it's just his soul, he can't even really do anything himself to keep that lit. So he's really kind of just like a parasite. He's feeding off other characters throughout the whole story. And if we want to take the lantern as more of a uh, a telling object, we could just interpret him as a an evil genie of sorts. It was just interesting uh, that that uh, in order to bring this sort of ominous air, that they would just use these glowing eyes and not even like a bet. It's just it's really just like a white uh, white glow, right? Yeah. Uh, and not, yeah, so nothing you would necessarily it- interpret as being sinister, aside from the fact that it's purely coming from. Like you were saying, Chris, this this shadow character, uh, which is in a way weirdly offset by the, uh, uh, the those pitch black turtles that we see a few times. I forgot about the turtles. Yeah, I do want to talk about them. They are interesting. I guess kind of in a meta knowledge of it, Patrick McHale really left that as a loose end. As he put it, it's an imperfection in the quilt. I guess it's like a writer thing to leave something kind of unfinished or undeveloped to leave a humanness to the story. I have my own thoughts about what the turtles are. There are a lot of connections with them and the beast and the boys, you know, like they're, they're kind of like followed. Like every episode I think has the black turtle, or at least most of them do. They're the only other thing in the show that are almost entirely black and they're almost a silhouette. I don't think they quite are. The Beast is like pure silhouette aside from a couple scenes. The Turtles, I think, are like a personified sin, I guess. Because in the first episode, Gregory sticks a piece of candy to one and a dog eats it and it turns into like this giant, crazy, gross animal. And it has these crazy glowing eyes, but all it wants to do is eat. So not saying it's like the seven deadly sins or anything quite like that, but I do think it's kind of maybe just like dark negative energy, maybe. And it's also tied with the Edelwood trees also. They're constantly walking around there and they're also black with the black oil. Oh, okay. Interesting. I thought of them as a more neutral force. After reading it, anytime I see turtles, I just assume they're like ancient, all-knowing creatures. 
but that could just be my love of Stephen King clouding my interpretation. No, I could I could see it. These are these are in a way uh, similar to Odin's ravens. Uh, they're just they're we just are little such turtles. Nerds. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh they're, my God. they're just they're just sentries uh, for a more like you were saying, uh, all knowing being and uh, just keeping tabs. They're the most unexplained, I think, for sure. Because I don't think any character actively talks about them. Everyone else kind of just ignores them. Aside from Auntie Whispers, who, like, eats them, which is a theory, like, she's the sin eater. It's kind of weird. I'm not sure if I buy all that, but she kind of keeps Lorna's sins in check by keeping the bell on her and keeping her from doing her dark deeds, I think, as she puts them. So if turtles are some kind of like sin it's kind of an interesting parallel with that too if that's true i don't know but one thing i did also think was interesting with the turtles and the beast and the dog from the first episode was the dog when it's possessed by the turtle it has these crazy multicolored glowing eyes and you see that in the beast in like the last episode i think when he's freaking out over Wirt having the lantern. His eyes go multicolored and they glow similarly. So that's why I think there's a connection with them and the uh, the trees also, the Edelwood trees. So you, you brought up uh, Auntie Whispers and Lorna, and I was thinking about how it's, it's interesting that that is very similar to the situation that Beatrice and Adelaide have where you had this uh, young person, uh, two young women in, in this case, who are uh, being held captive in a way by uh, uh, these these older uh, older women, and uh, they they have the ability to release them, but it's always the fact that oh well, there's you know so much that's uh, getting done for me, so to to release them from either this possession or and Beatrice's case from her uh, transformation into a, a bird would just hamper uh, any kind of uh, uh, selfish uh, wants and, and whatever that they, they might have. Interestingly, Adelaide and Auntie Whispers are like also sisters. But there's like such a juxtaposition between Adelaide and Auntie Whispers. Adelaide looks kind of friendly. Like She looks pretty human compared to Auntie Whispers, who's like a giant woman with like bloated features and kind of a creepier voice to be honest it furthers the thought that nothing you really think you know in the unknown is what you actually know there's always something hidden going back to your beginning statement of your expectations are subverted every episode and and uh just to, to wrap that uh anti whispers is at least still uh caring she cares about lorna it's still manipulative, but she's not evil, Adelaide is. At least she has some kind of empathy about it, that she was just lonely and didn't want Lorna to go. Well, wasn't it that Lorna was the monster? Lorna was the monster, which is another parallel between the two characters and two stories. Lorna was the monster, Auntie Whispers was keeping Lorna from doing more evil, and then Beatrice was trying to do good when Adelaide was, in fact, the evil one it's it, it is interesting that, that yeah uh anti whispers is technically trying to uh keep everybody else safe from lorna but at the same point in time 
I feel like there could have been steps to, to be uh, to take in order to um, rid her of, of this this evil that's possessing her. Um, so to, to not do that is almost worse than uh, what Adelaide is doing, which is blatantly um, holding Beatrice hostage in a way by not giving her what she needs to help her family. Yeah, I never totally liked that ending of that episode because one it felt really easy like oh you just ring the bell and the demon's gone and then two why would she do that it doesn't make sense not at least not to me it was kind of like she wanted the company to so she wasn't gonna do the full solution because didn't she say something like oh well if you're all better you don't need me anymore yeah she was lonely and she wanted lorna around for company but she was trying to keep her, like, broken to do that. So it's a good, you know, lesson in abuse, really. Right. And how and it it, it can be in, uh, di- expressed differently, but still mean the same thing at the end of the day. Whether it's openly uh, laid out in front of you or it, it's uh, flipped to, to mean, uh, uh, to show a well-intentioned person um, who's, who's actually doesn't have that uh, other individual's best interests at heart. Right. Good intentions or not, it's still a bad thing to do. And I, I think it's funny because I uh, obviously seeing the whole episode, you, you kind of have that a- ability of, of hindsight. But when it's revealed that Lauren is actually the monster, I did sort of have this this twinge of like uh, empathy, empathy for Auntie Whispers and, and, and her uh, sort of role in that dynamic it's it's uh just there's a lot to it it's it's obviously very complex and that's one of the things that i think is very uh telling of how how much went into this show despite its short run time and uh these compact episodes yeah it's definitely it definitely has staying power for anybody who is at least some somewhat aware of it yeah and it's good that it's on a streaming platform that definitely gives new life things that didn't have it when it was you know released yeah it's a lot more accessible now which is great because i think everyone should watch it and i think that also comes to it being pretty timeless and i think it's best watched during autumn or fall or halloween time thanksgiving time but i i could see people still watching this in like five ten years yeah yeah i mean they've kept it very uh evergreen for sure any uh, any final thoughts? Anything else you want to wrap up or kind of bring up before we, we end? No, I think that's kind of all I had to say. Okay. Right. Yeah, yeah. Loved it. Yeah, so great glad. pick, Chris. Uh, definitely something that I wouldn't have known about had you not brought it up, and I believe well, Grace knew more than I did. I, I literally had, had no concept of what this show was. I think that's the best way to watch the show. You know, definitely watch the show, everyone. Um, if you haven't or watch it again, it's worth it. There's so much to like unpack. You know, I didn't think we would be talking so long about this today, but you know, here we are. I'm happy we did. It's a really good show. Definitely worth the watch. Thank you guys so much for listening to our first episode. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at SpookyKidPod. And also check out our Twitch channel where I do monthly charity recaps with my internet friends. Twitch.tv forward slash SpookyKidPod. You can follow me at ChrisAmbrose80, where I post art stuff. And follow me down a dark alley so that I know that I'm not alone. And thank you to Ellipsis for composing our theme music.
Bye. never said it <laughs> so i gotta just smoosh that in there i can do it again no it's okay uh, here i'll record it again oh i'll just do that part again